talk to you for a few minutes from the subject preferring Satan over Jesus preferring Satan over Jesus in the past when we have preached this text our focus has been on the possessed man and the wonderful work that Jesus does in relieving the man of his demonic possession. But today, our focus is on the response of the Gerasenes to the work that Jesus does. And what we focus on is distressing. 
because it indicates that the Gerizines preferred Satan to Jesus. It's important, my brothers and sisters, that we accept the reality of Satan and that we understand the desire of Satan to disrupt and destroy the body of Christ. I understand that for some, Satan is a myth. He's a figment of overactive imaginations. But I'm led to believe that Satan prefers it that way. For Satan is most disruptive when he convinces people that he is either harmless or doesn't exist. Even within the church, a lot of us are naive about Satan. But Satan's impact is all around us. Evil empires and wicked systems, bigoted and racist and xenophobic and violent and feckless mobs, puppet pulpiteers, 21st century Balaam's purchased by Moab's profiteers to pervert the message of liberation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these things point to the fact that Satan is still going from one end of the earth to the other, seeking whom he may devour. And the sad truth is that Satan is enjoying some success. There are those among us who prefer Satan over Jesus. Consider the response of the Gerizines in our text. Jesus and his disciples had come into this territory by boat. And as they disembarked, they were immediately confronted by a demon-possessed man. The man had a severe personality disorder. He lived in the cemetery. He preferred to deal with dead things rather than embrace the living. And when we prefer to deal with dead things rather than embrace the living, when we prefer to reside among dead ideas rather than embrace new vision, when we prefer to dwell among dead and meaningless tradition rather than embrace vital and relevant and meaningful worship, it's a sign that we prefer Satan to Jesus. The man was antisocial. He was hostile. He had estranged himself from human contact. And when we are so negative, so hostile, so acidic, that when people see us, they go in the opposite direction. When no one wants to deal with us, when we can't get along with anybody because they know that we're so hard-hearted and narrow-minded, it's a sign that we prefer Satan to Jesus. This man was bent on self 
destruction. He would rather wander around the cemetery naked with a crazed look in his eyes. He would regularly cut himself with sharp-edged stones. And when people tried to subdue him for his own safety, he would tear the chains from his hands and break the irons on his feet. He was tormented by his own ugliness, for he would shriek like a ferocious animal and convulse himself into violent seizures. And when we are bent on self-destruction, when we keep on abusing our bodies with drugs and alcohol and bad food, even after our organs begin to shut down, when we choose to present ourselves as objects of whoredom rather than elevate ourselves as emblems of honor and respect, it's a sign that we prefer Satan to Jesus. This man would not submit to Jesus' authority. When, when he saw Jesus, the text says he fell on his knees before him. He called him by name and asked Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? But while the demons inside him caused him to know who Jesus was, they resisted any attempt this man may have made to submit to Christ's authority. And if we know who Jesus is, but won't submit to his authority, if we won't love without limit or restriction, if we won't serve the present age, it's a sign that we prefer Satan to Jesus. This man was demon-possessed. He, he needed help that only Jesus could give him. And Mark says that Jesus did help the man. Jesus spoke to the demons that were tormenting him. And by the time Jesus was through, the demons were gone. The man was free. But it's the response of the Gerasenes to the man's demonic liberation that I find so troubling. When Jesus expelled the demons from the man, they, they entered into a herd of pigs. And, and all the pigs stampeded over a cliff and drowned in the sea. And when the Gerasenes realized that the pigs had been destroyed, they couldn't celebrate their fellow citizens' liberation from the demons because they were angry over dead pigs. They preferred Satan to Jesus. Now, why would that be? What, what did these pigs symbolize? I want you to consider a couple of things as I hurry on today. First, these pigs symbolized money over ministry. Clearly, the garrison economy was built around the swine market. Pigs were raised to be butchered and sold. Their flesh was to be consumed for food. Their skins were to be converted into clothing and tents to provide shelter. And so when these pigs were destroyed in the sea, the garrison economy took a hit. 
And even though the demons were gone from the man, the Gerizim people got mad with Jesus. Shiloh, if you prefer money over ministry, then you prefer Satan over Jesus. Let me be clear. I know that we need money. I know that the quality of our lives hinges on our personal economy. But we should never place a higher priority on money than we do on ministry. One reason why ministry suffers is because we place a higher priority on money than on ministry. We don't give to the needs of the church like we should because we place a higher priority on money. Only 3 to 5% of the 20% of Americans that go to church actually tithe. That is, give 10% of their income back to God. And you can't claim to love Jesus and withhold from his church. When we fail to tithe, we're robbing God. I didn't say it, Malachi did. When we fail to give, we're showing a lack of appreciation to the one who has given everything to us. These Gerizines got mad with Jesus because their economy was upset by the ministry that he performed. And when we prefer money over ministry, then we're preferring Satan over Jesus. And then these pigs represented normal over new. When this man was liberated from these demons that possessed him, everything about his life was changed. Mark says that when the people came out to see what had happened, the man was new. He was clothed and in his right mind. He had been a menace to society, but now he embodied Christ's deliverance and healing. He had been bound, but Jesus liberated him. He had been wild and uncontrollable, but now he's sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. He had been an instrument of satanic opposition, but now he's a living testimony that the power of Jesus prevails over any satanic force. But when the people realized that this man's newness came at the cost of their normal, they got mad with Jesus. Oh, my brothers and sisters, please hear me. Don't ever forget that there are some people who prefer normal to new. And when new shows up, they get mad. Don't you know that's what happened the other day in Washington, D.C.? Some evil Bible misreading, church-going, evangelical right rednecks showed themselves to be the cowardly, mean-spirited, malevolent mob that they are because too much new was interrupting their normal. Did you hear the woman who said in disbelief, they're supposed to shoot the BLM, but they're shooting at us. The Patriots, too much new, was interrupting 
her normal. Mark says that's what Jesus did. The movement of Christ in their community made them afraid. And it's a sad commentary that they were more comfortable with a normal that had a demon-possessed menace roaming free in their cemetery than they were with the new that the king of kings had presented to them. Church, can you handle a little new in your world? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all has become new. Can you handle a little new in your world? I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. The places I used to go, I don't go no more. There's been a great change in me. Can you handle a little new in your world? The pushback in America today is the result of people preferring normal over new. And here's why. People don't know what their place is when new upsets their normal. People must redefine their purpose when new upsets their normal. People must change their perspective when new upsets their normal. These garrisons were pig formers. It was normal for them to have to deal with pigs. But now that the pigs were gone and had been replaced with a new man, they didn't know what they were to be now that the normal was gone. And racist white folk don't know what their place is when black and brown people straighten their backs up and refuse to let them ride them. Church-going rednecks don't know what their purpose is when black and brown people refuse to be their cause and decide to affirm their personal worth in Jesus Christ. For the Gerizines, as long as this man was demon-possessed, he was a cause to them cause for their sympathy, a cause for their Christian charity. But when Jesus took the demons away, the Gerizines realized that they were going to have to deal with this man from a different perspective, from a different framework, and they preferred the normal to the new. Don't ever forget that when you discover who you are, and that your personal worth is not defined by what normal used to be, there are going to be folk who don't know what to do with you. And they're simply showing a preference for Satan over Jesus. The people got mad with Jesus because they preferred money over ministry. The people got mad with Jesus because they preferred normal over New. And you know what they did? They asked Jesus to get out of town. They asked Jesus to leave. And, and then they added this, don't come back. Don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord splits you. But as I close today, let me drop this final point in your spirit. Once Jesus shows up, can't nobody undo what Jesus has done. 
Mark says that, that as Jesus was getting back in the boat, the man who had been set free came and asked, Lord, can I go with you? And I don't blame him. I, I would have wanted to leave town too. But Jesus gave him a different assignment. Jesus said, go home to your family. Tell them what I did for you. Folk want to act like nothing has happened here, but, but I want you to set the record straight. I want you to make it plain to everyone that a change has taken place and nobody can undo what I have done. Church, as I close today, let me remind you that there are a lot of people around us who want to undo what God has done. They, they prefer Satan to Jesus. They prefer money to ministry. They prefer normal to new. But don't you let them stop you. When Jesus shows up, no one can undo what he has done. When Jesus shows up, he frees us from our demons and he gives us a new assignment. Go and tell. Go and tell people that there's still room at the master's table. Go to the sick and tell them there is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. Go to the hungry and tell them that Jesus is living bread. Go to the thirsty and tell them that Jesus is living water. Go to those meandering in darkness and tell them that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the heart fixer. He's the burden bearer. He's the mind regulator. He's the way maker. He's the door opener. Go and Tell. And watch and see. There's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some craziness. In the name of the Lord. In the name of patriotism. But don't you know evil cannot prevail over what the Lord has done. Keep your hand in God's hand. Hold on a little while longer. He's able to make rough places plain. He's able to make crooked places straight. He's able to make the enemies your footstool. He's able, 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 able. Don't worry about those who prefer Satan over Jesus. God's got this thing in his hand. And he's going to make everything all right. Lord God, thank you for reminding us that you are in charge. Even when those around us are pushing against your word and your will and your way, you are in charge. That the demons cannot prevail where you have spoken. You have expelled them, dear God. You have put them away. And we are new because of what you have done in our lives. We stand in affirmation that we are new creatures in Christ. And that we're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back to Rome. We're not going back to Massa and plantations. But we're going to stand 
in the name of Jesus. And we're going to affirm who we are in Jesus Christ. Bless this simple word which has gone forth. May it be a help to those who have heard. Now to God, we open the doors of your church. If there's someone among us who does not know you in the pardon of their sin, we pray that something that has been said or done would touch their hearts and cause them to surrender their lives to you. We ask it only in the name of your son, Jesus. And for his sake, we pray. Amen. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something, there's something about that name. You know, that hymn, that old song of the church is appropriate every day, but especially on this day and on this week, when we've witnessed as a nation horrifying events, when we've witnessed the assault on the rule of law and on our democratic republic, when we've witnessed individuals who wish to overthrow the vote, a vote that so many of our ancestors bled and died for. Not just on a bloody Sunday in Selma, but in towns all across this nation. And that's why that, this song, this hymn is so appropriate because it says kings and kingdoms will pass away. Elected officials and the political systems that they put into place will all pass away. They'll come and go, but our God is everlasting to everlasting. They'll pass away, but there's something about the name of Jesus. So we must be reminded this morning, Shiloh, that our God is yet in control. <laughs> and there is no king or kingdom that is in power that God has not allowed to sit there. God's power is larger than, bigger than any other power on this earth. So as we gather this morning for this time of collective prayer, intercessory prayer, we acknowledge that God is in control. God is in control even now. I am reminded of Psalm. 46. Its words ring in my ear even right now, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, troubled though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, and God shall not be moved. God shall help the city in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come now, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow. He cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. And then it says in verse 10 of this Psalm 46, be still, be still, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the